You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. With you, turn with me to Second Samuel chapter thirteen. We're going to pick up in verse twenty-three. We're going to go through thirty-nine. If you are new with us, uh, just want to let you know we're expository preaching church. That means that we let the Bible set the diet rather than the pastor. We pick a book of the Bible, we go through it. We believe the Holy Spirit wrote it in a certain order, and when we learn it in the order that it was written. It tends to make more sense. We remember more. We become better discipled. And we, uh, whatever it is that the text is about that day, that's what we're hearing. We just kind of trust God with that process. So if you ever feel like, man, I feel like this guy's stepping on my toes. Well, it's not our fault. The Lord has you there that day. That was what the text was about. And it's the Holy Spirit that's stepping on your toes. Amen? How many have ever seen the movie Finding Nemo? Anybody ever see that? First off, I want to tell you this. I got to go on a missions trip to the South Pacific, a place called Vanuatu. And, I, you know, you watch Finding Nemo and you're like, man, that's really, it's amazing, you know, what they have there under the sea, you know, that their artists can bring to life. And I went, I went snorkeling there on this mission trip. We had one day to kind of have fun in that area. And I stick my head down that water and I swear to you, it was exactly like finding Nemo. I mean, all the fish, the dory fish swimming around you. It was the most amazing thing. All the little clown fish down in the Eminemines. I don't know how you say that. But they're all down there. I'm telling you, it was just like that. But if you've seen Finding Nemo, you know it's a, it, it really is a great story. It's a great story of a father's love. This pursuing, I'm not going to stop. I'll go across the world if I have to, to get my child. And there's something about that that connects to all of our hearts. We want to believe that there would be that kind of love for us if we ever got lost or ever got taken you know, sometimes we can get lost and taken, but it's not because somebody grabs us and throws us in the back of a van or picks us up and takes us on a boat, you know, far away in a, in a plastic bag to be put into, a, in, into an aquarium. It's, we can get lost with just life. Life can grab a hold of us, and it can, it can cause a lot of wounds. The passage that we're just coming out of, if it, it, it was a passage that was about a terrible sexual assault that happened to a beautiful young virgin named Tamar. Happened to her by her half-brother, who was the heir to the king of, of Israel. He was going to be the next king of Israel. His name was Amnon. Amnon rapes Tamar, and, and then he throws her out. So he's not only just destroyed her life, but he throws her out, rejecting her. She's broken and she finds her way into the arms of her brother. Now the story that we're actually covering, the seven chapters that deal with this young man, his name is Absalom, and he is the third son of King David. And he is, uh, he's this guy that loves his sister. We don't actually see a bunch wrong with Absalom in this very first story. In fact, as we go through here, we're going to try to be as honest about the text as we possibly can. 
And that actually causes you at first to go, man, I kind of like this Absalom character. He, he seems to love his sister. She's, she's broken. She's destitute. Once she's been raped and thrown out into the street, she's bleeding and she's crying and she's rejected and, and, and she's grieving. Her, her beautiful dress her dad gave her has been ripped and torn and she stumbles. She's, she's crying through the streets. Nobody comes to her except her, oldest, her, her, her older brother, Absalom. And he immediately says, what happened to you? And, and, and he asks his very first question. He, he says, did Amnon do this to you? Did Amnon do this? I don't think he really thought very highly of Amnon. It probably told us a lot about this particular man. Sometimes when we have been in, um, we don't always use the word entitlement in a good way. I think Amnon was very entitled. I think that he just thinks I'm the heir. Nobody can do anything to me. I could rape my sister and get away with it. Who's going to do anything to me? I'm the next king of Israel. I'm David's firstborn. Well, when Absalom sees that, there's a, how many would say you have a sense of justice? Like a strong sense of justice. When you see wicked things happen, you're just like, you maybe watch movies and the bad guy in the movie, you're just wishing he's going to get it in the worst way by the end of the movie. You've got a sense of justice. I have that too. I hate injustice. Do you know that love should hate injustice? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says that, that love rejoices in the truth. It rejoices when the truth wins out. So, so Absalom finds his sister. He says to her, he says, look, don't you take this to your heart. He doesn't really know what to say. And a lot of times with sexual assault, we, we said it like this. A lot of people, they say things, they, they don't really know what to say. We're not really trained with the perfect thing to say. He's kind of like, okay, quiet, quiet, quiet. And too many women, we said, are told to be quiet. Or Men, unfortunately, in this world today, we see men being sexually assaulted, boys being sexually assaulted. Says, and, and, and Absalom's trying to think of what to say. And he goes, just be silent. This is, your, this is your brother. And he says, don't take this to your heart. But in truth, He's saying something else to his own heart. He tells Tamar, don't you take this to your heart. I've taken it to mine. And he doesn't talk to Amnon. He doesn't go back. He knows that his dad is going to find out about it. He knows that something is, is, this is is going to get out. Because that's the way sin is, right? Be sure your sin will find you out. Sin is going to come out. And when it does, he says he didn't talk to him either good or bad, he just simmers. Have you ever had something that happened to you or to someone that you really love where it just sat in your heart and fermented? And it, it, just, it just was like over time, you could learn to hate the person that did that to your loved one even more than if they did it to you. You want the bad guy to get it. Well, this is where we're picking up in the story. Absalom has, he has hatred in his heart for Amnon because of what he did to his beloved sister. And he wants consequences for that. But the consequences are going to be disastrous. 
they're not going to just be private. They're going to be public. That's going to go, and we're going to see that today. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse 23. And now it came about after two full years. Everybody say two. Two full years. That Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Now, here's what's gone on. Since verse 22, last week, two full years have gone by, and that Amnon has not yet been punished by David. David, in the, in the last passage, it said that David was very angry about this. Well, that's great, Dad. It's great that you're angry. What are you going to do about it? That's what Absalom wanted to know. This, this was a definite wicked evil. Now what are you going to do about it? Being angry is, is not enough. Something has to happen. So what should have happened to a man who raped his sister? No justice has come from the king. He's the king. Is the king permitted to discipline the princes? If, if your head of states don't discipline their children, do you have much faith that something, that you're going to get justice, that there's going to be righteousness? In the Bible, it says that if, if you try to lead the house of God, but you don't have control of your own house, how are you to lead the church? And that doesn't mean that you'll never have bad stuff happen in your family. Here's the thing. You're not judged that because your kids have free will. Your kids, you could be a great mom, a great dad, and you could have kids that do wrong. The question is, what are you going to do when you find out? That's what God holds you accountable to. What will you do when you find out? And you say, no, there's no way that a good mom or a good dad, a good family can have bad kids. Oh, yes, they can. Yes, they can. In Luke chapter 15, God the Father, we get the story of the lost son, the prodigal son, right? In the story, who is the father? That's God. He has two sons. Are they good boys? Neither of them are good boys. One of them runs off and squanders all of his wealth, tells his dad, I wish you were dead. I wish I could have the money that I would get if you were dead, and I wish I didn't have to wait for you to die. His dad goes, okay, here's the money. He runs off, squanders it on partying and prostitutes. Not a good kid. The second kid stays home, but he's a self-righteous kid, has no love for his brother. So really, it's not the story of one lost son. It's the story of two lost sons, and, it's, and he has the perfect parent. He's got God as the parent. So is it possible you could have bad kids or your kids do really wrong stuff and you be a good parent? Yes. Now the question is, what do you do about it once it comes to your attention? David has done nothing about this problem. And it's a huge scandal and everybody's watching and inside his own home, they're watching. What are you going to do? And you know, you can wait for justice, but if you don't get justice after a certain period of time, how many know that it's a very natural thing to want to take things into your own hands? It's very natural. That doesn't make it right, but it does. That, that is natural. Now, 
Guys, we, we talk about truth here at Life Church, and sometimes truth is very politically incorrect. So I'm going to say some things that might be hard for you to hear, but I'm just going to tell you it's truth. Go look it up. You can find it. And if you disagree with me, you're just, you know, just that's okay. We could talk about it. But I'm just going to show you what the Word says. When it comes to murder in our world, if you kill somebody else, you have said that life is not valuable. And if it's murder, meaning there was hatred and malice in your heart, according to what the Bible says, you are to die for that. We, we allow far too many people to live when they should die. And if we would actually have a government system that punishes murder, we'd have far less murder in our world. Nobody's afraid of the law and then nobody values human life. And so we just keep killing, kill, 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 kill. I went over to uh, Japan recently. And when I went over there, do you know they have zero crime? Zero. They don't even have Jesus in that country. Not even 1% of the people of Japan are saved, but they have zero crime. Now I wonder why that is. Because they punish crime. And we used to punish crime, but we don't punish crime now. Don't forget that God himself practiced capital punishment against the world when he brought the flood. That we, we like to tell the, the flood story, but the flood, is not a, the flood is not a happy kid's story that we should put on walls of their nurseries because it has animals in it. The flood is a devastating story. It says... They were so violent, all they thought about was violence continually, and God says, this is not going to happen anymore. God wipes out the entire world except for eight people. Why did he do it? To deal with the injustice of wicked violence and wicked mentality. Now, that's hard to hear, but I just want to tell you, it's because you got to get that out of society. Now, he, left, he leaves a verse after they come out of the flood. They say, he that sheds man's blood. Here's God. God said this. Remember, everybody talks about the rainbow. I'm not going to destroy the earth with water anymore. I'm not going to do this again. But he says, he that sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. What's he saying? He's saying, I took care of the problem of the violence this time. Now you'll do it. And it's the institution of government. So when murder happens against one of our citizens, it's not us that's supposed to go out and murder the person that, go, go kill the person that, that killed our loved ones. We turn it over to the government and believe that we're going to get justice. And their job is to do their job and turn around and give us justice. Because there's something that is satisfied when the guy who did wrong gets what's coming to him. You don't have to hate him. For them to get what's coming to them. You just have to put it into the hands of someone else and say, hey, justice is required in this situation. It's awful quiet in here. And God says this, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. But God uses government set up by the people in order to do justice. And that desire inside of all of us for justice, God put that there because God has a desire for justice. God loves justice. So when you feel that feeling, 
there's something we call righteous indignation, right? It's actually, it's not a bad thing. It means something should be done. The question is, do we trust God in the process? Do we trust God to deal with the matter? God himself set this up and he put the rainbow in the sky. The rainbow is also part of the promise that says this is how God feels. And, he, and it says this is an eternal covenant. God still feels this way. Now, in the case of this man, he, he did not kill his sister. He raped her. So what is, what is it that God says about rape? If you would go through the scriptures and you'd look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, let me sum up what you would find about rape. He would say that rape is a capital offense if the woman was engaged or she was married according to the scripture. If you, if you raped an engaged or married woman, you would die for it. Also, it says that if you raped a virgin, then the rapist would have to pay the bride price to the father of the abused girl. And you could have a situation where the rapist could marry the girl if the girl wanted it. Now, that's hard to imagine that a girl would want to do that. The father had the right of refusal. He could say, no way, you're not ra- you're not, you'll never be with my daughter. And the girl also could say, I don't want this to happen. If the girl did marry the rapist, if she chose to do that, he could never divorce her for all of her life. She could never be put away. Now, those sound like some terrible options in the whole matter, but that's what it was under the law. And rape was not always uncommon, but if you punish rape severely, you get less rapes. And so in this case, this was how you're going to keep society more civil. So this, this daughter was not espoused to be married. She was not married. Was this a capital offense? Okay, there's also laws that have to deal with you're not allowed to uncover the nakedness of certain family members. And, and so the idea is you can't have sex with, 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 with uh, relations. This guy has just raped his half-sister. And for that, we found when we looked, we looked for this, we found that this guy deserves to die. So you've got the crown prince, the, 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 the heir to the kingdom. And for the fact that this wasn't, this wasn't a girl he was, wasn't related to, but because he's related to her, he deserves to die for this. Hmm. Now the king has the ability to pardon. A king can say, you know what? You do deserve to die, but I'm going to lessen it. I'm going to give you grace. Did God ever do something like that? With the very first murder that ever happened, it was Cain who killed Abel. And Cain says, the people are going to kill me for what I've done. And the Lord came and spared him and said, I'm going to put a mark upon you. They're not going to kill you, but you're going to, you're going to carry around this curse with you. So if God would, if if he would say, in this case, I'm going to pardon you, he has that authority. Likewise, a king has the ability to pardon, just like our president has the ability to pardon. 
It is, the governor has the ability to pardon. There is a means of grace even underneath such capital punishment, such severe punishment. David has that ability to do it. Now, David was also a guy who, remember, he had sex with Bathsheba and then murdered, murdered his or, or, or her husband, Uriah. So sometimes when we have sin in our family, we, we tend not to want to dish out any kind of judgment because we feel like somebody could call us a hypocrite. David feels like that. He should turn around and level the boom on Amnon, but he doesn't do it because he knows that he's done stuff in his own life where he feels like, can I really pull the trigger? Can I really do that? So nothing's happened. And Absalom's had to watch his destitute sister deal with that sexual assault and no justice has happened at all. And it's gotten inside his spirit for two years. And he hates his oldest brother. And he wants to kill him. What does... Do you know the Bible tells us that if we have a problem with hatred in our heart, we too are murderers? Because murder has at its root hatred. So nothing's happened. Absalom came to the king. After two years, he's going to do some sheep shearing, which is a big festival. He says, hey, uh, behold now your servant has sheep shears, let, please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king says to Absalom, no, my son, for uh, we, we should not all go, for we will all be burdensome to, uh, burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but he blessed him. David, David gets invited to come down for this big festival that Absalom is throwing for all of his property. It's a big payday. This is a big event. Come on, let's have the whole family come down. And David, David says, ah, look, that's a lot of people. How many people would that be? Well, don't forget David has eight wives, which is never a good idea. He's got 20 children. He's got all kinds of, can you imagine the rivalries between those women and their kids? That'd be a disaster. He was never allowed. He, according to the Bible, he was supposed to have one wife, but he didn't do it. And now he's got the consequences that are happening. He says, no, my son, we all, can't all come. It'd be too many for you. But, you know, I'm just going to bless you. You go ahead and, and do it. And then Absalom said, if not, would you please let my brother Amnon go with us? And the king said to him, why should he go with you? Now, he's not stupid. He knows about the family relationship, even though Absalom has said nothing. He said nothing about what has happened to Tamar. He's bottled it all up in his heart. He's been watching his dad to see what his dad's going to do about it. And, and, and he says, well, look, if the king can't come, could you send the crown prince? Send Amnon. You know, why do you want that? And he's kind of thinking, there may be a little bit of suspicion in David's heart about it. But Absalom urged him. And so he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. 
So big festival, the entire, all the children are there. Now this is what's going on quietly. Verse 28, Absalom commanded his servants saying, see now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, because there was a lot of drinking around the festival. When his heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then I want you to put him to death. Do not fear, have I not commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. Wow. He's asking his own servants, strike him down. Now that's not his call, because vengeance is whose? It's the Lord's. It's not his call. Vengeance should have come through the hand of his father, but it doesn't. And now Amnon's had, or Absalom's had as much as he can take. He doesn't just ask for Amnon to come. He asks for all the kids to come because Absalom's very clever. He's going to cover it by, oh yeah, all of the king's sons are going to be there. You got to come, Amnon. It's a good cover story. It's believable. Remember that Absalom is like his dad. So I want you to think back of the Bathsheba story. I want you to think, did David get people to participate with him in the murder of Uriah? Yeah, he did. Was there wine surrounded with that story? Yeah, there was. Was there a clever cover story? Yeah, there was. In so many ways, Absalom is acting just like his dad. How many have ever heard the scripture that the sins of a father are passed on to the third and the fourth generation? When we see our fathers and mothers do particular things, they work themselves into us because we go, well, they did it, so I can do it. And, and one thing we said last week is that what one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. They do even worse than what you think. He says, I'm going to tell you to strike them down. And when you do it, obey me. I'm the one that gave the order. It will fall on me. And Absalom intends to settle the score himself. Verse 29, it says, the servants of Absalom did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. And then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. The time was right. Amnon was drunk. Absalom said, do it now. And he watches as those servants stab and kill his oldest brother who had raped his sister. Now, David also used other people in order to kill in the situation of, uh, of Bathsheba. Absalom orders the hit, and he is, he's willing to take responsibility. Now, all the other king's sons, they are like, oh my goodness, nothing like this has happened, and they are scared. All the king's sons run to their mules to get on them. They're going to flee the field because if the king, if we have a son that kills another son, is it possible that he's going to kill all the sons and take the throne? They don't know. But it's, it's, it's something that was supposed to be a good party. It was supposed to be a festive occasion. has turned into a total scandal and murder and everybody is scared. But there was that guy, Amnon, and he was saying, 
what? I'm untouchable. I'm the heir to the throne. And there's part of us that hears the story and goes, he deserved to die. And Absalom seems, it seems reasonable that he would take it into his hands. You know, there's little things that we do in our life that tell our children that we don't have to obey what the Lord has said. Do you know that? We undermine God's law many times in our own homes. When we want our kids to stay away from sin and we participate in sin, our kids are not stupid. They pick up on a lot of stuff. Do you know that one of the things that the Bible says is that this talks about mules. You're like, big deal. Do you know that they were supposed to ride on donkeys? What is a mule? A mule is half horse, half donkey. It's bigger. It's different. Just, just to simply obey God's word is to, this is what the Lord has said. But we have a way of just figuring out ways not to do what God originally said, but to kind of do what God had originally said. And that works into our homes and it never works out in our favor. They get on their mules. Well, we didn't have to obey that law of the Lord. David's sons are all panicking and they're running home. The royal family, because of the way that David had gone and, and not done right, morality is loosey-goosey in that family. So now whenever they're all still a long way off, there's a report that makes its way back to Jerusalem to David saying Absalom has struck down the king's sons and not one of them is left. First off, did that happen? No, but that's the report that got back. Here's the thing I want to tell you. Typically, the first reports we hear are not the accurate ones. How many have found that to be true? That's why justice takes time. You cannot respond to the first thing you hear. You have to, my, my grandfather used to say, believe nothing that you hear and only half of what you see. So just wait. Let's find out if the reports are right. The Bible also tells us with two or three witnesses, let everything be established. While we want justice in this world, how many know that we also need to have law and order? You have to make sure there's a process. Do you, do you, do you ever think about the fact that in America, we have something called reasonable doubt? What does that mean? It means that if the jury finds that there's even the possibility that the person didn't do it, because they have just reasonable doubt. They think it's better to let them go free than to kill an innocent man. They would, in fact, our founding fathers said it would be better that a hundred guilty men go free than for one innocent person to die. So the American justice system is supposed to operate on that concept. Just, there, there, we need to have justice under the law. But many times we rush to judgment. All the king's sons have been killed by Absalom is the report. And so the fear grips David. David believes the worst report right off the bat. Verse 31, it says, Then the king arose, he tears his clothes, and he lays on the ground, and all of his servants are standing by him there with their clothes torn. The whole of the house of Jerusalem is in mourning because of what has happened. David 
knows the bad of the situation that this is going to be for the nation. He's playing it out in his head. You know, one dead prince is bad enough, let alone every single prince is dead but one. It's a national humiliation. You cannot say that David's got his house in order because he doesn't have his house in order. It's going to reflect very badly on his leadership. And, and, and in truth, that's what dysfunction does to us, doesn't it? Dysfunction in the home shames the parents. Because in the end, the parents are the ones that are responsible or are, are supposed to be responsible we are the ones who bear shame when our children do what's wrong. And now David's feeling that. He's humiliated. And the kids are, are, are doing shameful things in his mind. He doesn't even know the full extent yet. I go back to the question of what do you do when you find out your children have done something shameful? If the house is a mess... If the king's house is a mess, how can he adjudicate the nation? I, guys, this is literally playing out in our news right now. We got a president whose son is a mess, and everybody's wondering whether there's two different forms of justice in America. Do you know that Lady Justice, she has the statue that was created where she holds the balance in her hands? What's she have around her eyes? A blindfold. Why? She has a sword in her hand, scales for the balance of justice, a sword to punish injustice, but she has a blindfold. Why? Because it's supposed to be that we do righteousness under the law, that we all live under the same standard. You're not to show favoritism. That's why she has that blindfold. If a king's son does what's wrong, the king's son should suffer. Same thing with the president's son. No different. And a pastor's son, for that matter. It should be the same. Having the reputation of being an honorable family is so important to leadership. A good reputation makes a big difference. The Bible says a good name is better to be chosen than what? Great riches. It was a pastor friend of mine he used to say to his kids hey his name was Dave Wigington he would say to his kids hey the name Wigington is a good name when you left the house this morning it better be good when you get home I think there's a lot of really really a lot of truth in that now we get a guy that stands up, Jonadab, and Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. So this is the same guy from last week who made the, he was the clever guy who could figure out a way for Tamar and Amnon to be alone. He's, he's now, he's, he's in a position, he's, notice that he's not out at this festival, but he stayed in Jerusalem. I think that's interesting. He's got enough sense to distance himself from Amnon because of Amnon's wicked deed. But this guy, the Bible says, is clever. It says that he says to David, do not let my Lord suppose that they have put to death all the young men, the king's son, for Amnon alone is dead because by the intent of Absalom, this has been determined since the day that he violated Tamar. David, all your sons are not dead. Just Amnon. This has been in Absalom's heart for two years. He said, don't think everybody's dead. 
Now, this guy's sneaky. He was the fr- original friend of Amnon. But he has a spy network, and his spy network has credible intelligence, and he's trying to say, David, trust me, because remember whenever he was going to hitch his wagon to Amnon, now Amnon has sullied his name. So he's doing his best to put himself in, in good standing with David. He's like, hey, I want you to see that when you find out that the information I'm sharing with you is true, that you'll trust me more. This whole thing is about relationships. How many have ever had drama that happened between friends and you're trying to figure out what's true and different people are lying to you or they're telling you details? And you're like, who do I trust? There's a lot that has to do with trust. Why is all this suffering occurring? It all goes back to that. Remember, David, it's the guy you didn't kill because of what he did that has not been forgotten. I think it bears a question in your heart and mind. Is there any wound in your life that has not been forgiven that sits festering in the bottom of your heart? Could it happen to you? Could it happen to somebody you love? But is there any wound that's been left undealt with. What are you doing about that? Is it fomenting in your spirit? It says, now therefore do not let my Lord the King take the report to heart, namely that all the King's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Listen, King David, my uncle, my intelligence can be trusted. You gotta believe me. I know that this is heartbreaking news, but it's not as heartbreaking as what's been said. Amnon had it coming. The nation is aware of what Amnon did. And here's another, here, here's another thing I want you to get about justice. When rock-solid justice is not public, the public trust in justice is eroded. Not only did David need to do something about Amnon, he needed the whole country to see him do it. Because then everybody could go, that's our king, and he's a good man. And even though he's, he's not a perfect man, he did what was right. It gives people a sense. Now, there's probably a lot of people in this room, and when it comes to justice and our justice system, the question is, can you trust that? Would you get justice under the system? That is so unfortunate that that is in so many hearts because it should be, yes, we believe our justice is righteous. But a lot of things don't get taken care of publicly. How many times do we never see somebody pay for what they've done wrong? How about, how about, you know, national scandals in the news all the time? We never hear about politicians that get held accountable. When, when, when everything happened, happened in Afghanistan, whose head rolled because of that situation and all these dead people? Like there should be justice for these things and we should see it but we didn't we don't see it so it erodes our trust in justice so now Absalom has fled the young man who was the watchman raised his eyes up and he looked and behold many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain and Absalom knew his 
He, he knew what he had done. He was going to pay for that. Here's all the sons coming back. He knows it's going to be in the national news because it's a scandal. It's this terrible catastrophe. We have kids slaying kids in David's house. And so he knew that a murderer would have to pay for it. So he runs away. He flees. Jonadab says to the king, behold, the sons, the king's sons have come according to what I, your servant's word. So it has happened. I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a person you can trust, David. My intelligence is really, really good. Trust in me. He's trying to maybe cover over for his last part that he played in the rape of Tamar. As soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the sons of the king came. They lifted their voice, they wept, and also the king with all of his servants wept very bitterly. Now David is probably rejoicing to know that his, that, that his other sons are safe, but he's just still grieving over this terrible situation. The sons, all the king's sons are divided, they're scared, and they're wondering, is, is, is my life going to be in danger too? This is a kinslaying, family killing family. And the king is dealing with intense pain in his heart. Do you know we have something that's in our justice system where, where maybe a judge is compromised that we ask them to not rule on the situation because they're biased. And that bias could, could, could taint justice. That happens. They're all weeping bitterly. The family has been torn apart. And the king is wrestling with, did I do this? Is this my fault? And can I tell you that I think that many times passivity in judgment in our homes is our fault. Many times we don't want to do an unpopular thing. Something that we think our kids might, you know, I can't come down too hard on that because if I do, you know, will I, will I ruin relationship down the rest of the way? Look, if you don't, if you have favoritism between your children, I just want you to know the Bible says that God does not have favoritism. That God does not have favoritism. I have seen many brothers and sisters, they cannot stand one another because they in their minds believe that their mom and their dad loves another kid more than them. And especially where you have blended families. Well, that's my full child and that's my part child. And, and then they just feel, they feel like, I think the expression is the redheaded stepchild. They don't have, they don't have that parent's affection. And I want to say this, not dealing with sin in our families is only going to bring more sin and more pain. Now Absalom fled, and he went to Telmai, the son of Amhud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. See, Amnon, uh, uh, Absalom is not just royal on his dad's side. He's also royal on his mom's side. Ma'akah, his mother, is a princess from Geshur. It's across the Jordan River, east of Galilee. So he knows I can't stay in, in, in Jerusalem. I can't stay here because I just killed my brother. I'm going to run. But he runs to his grandpap. David has lost Absalom, uh, Amnon, his heir. 
We don't really feel the closeness of that relationship. But he's now lost his relationship with Absalom. And he really did love Absalom. He feels responsible and he should feel responsible. It was his inaction that led to the disaster. He's now lost two sons, one to entitled lawlessness, where it was the result of a murder, and the other to the bitterness now that's destroying Absalom's life. The father had lost the heart of the son. So Absalom flees. He gets out of there. He runs to Gesher, and he's there now for three years. But I want you to notice verse 39, and we'll close. The heart of King David longed to go out to Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon since he was dead. His son has departed from him. He's now in exile, but he loves that kid. And he knows that it's his failure that has brought this on. Now, I want to be honest with you. I, I'm newly empty nesting. I have a 22-year-old son and a 20-year-old daughter. It was the hardest thing I ever did in my life was parenting teenagers. And, and my wife and I are in lockstep in how we parent. We parent together. And we still had our kids do things that made us grieve. At times, Chrissy and I held each other and cried. Is there any parents in here? Can I, can I identify with what I'm saying? Maybe it's quiet in here because your heart is really listening this morning. Parenting is incredibly, incredibly hard. And we do have to look at our own hearts and say, what am I responsible for in where I see my kids struggling? Not to beat yourself up. But you know, there is a very powerful thing that can happen when a parent comes back to a child and says, I failed you. I'm sorry. When I did this, it made you feel like this. I failed you. I should have done righteously there. I should have done justice there. Sometimes the greatest thing that can happen is just to have a parent come by and acknowledge that a wrong was done. Even if you can't fix everything. And when you ask for forgiveness, you model to break the curse of unforgiveness that's been in your family too long. Folks, our world is just being destroyed because of unforgiveness. We cannot go back and undo a lot of the injustices that have been done, but we could forgive it. We could take it upon ourselves because this is what God did for us. This is to be a Christian is to forgive. Not to go out and kill and exact another murder for something, which to put it in the hands of God and say, God, I believe that you could do something good out of this whole disaster. There's got to be this part inside of us, that longing for justice, where we go to God and we say, God, I can't get justice for myself, but you also have suffered injustice. There is no greater injustice in the history of the world than what was done to Jesus Christ. 
Jesus knows injustice and he bore it, but he didn't hate the people. He loved them. The father's heart yearns for that kid that's struggling, that kid that's lost. His heart aches for it. Did you ever notice that in the story of the prodigal son, that the father saw the kid a long way off? How did he do that? Because he was looking every day for the return of that kid. Why does the father run in that story? He runs because that kid has to go through the market in order to get home to the father. And to go through that market, all the people in the market would kill the kid because of the insult he's done to the father. The father runs to cut off the punishment and to restore the kid. When their father's heart is disconnected from a son, I just want you to know that our God, maybe not David, David, David has blown it in many ways, but aren't you glad that we serve? Uh, don't you, aren't you glad that we are a part of the family of God and our father yearns for reconciliation? David was inactive, but God, the Bible says, is moving and he is active. David didn't follow the law against his guilty son, but God the Father exacted the law and the punishment for the law upon his innocent son, upon Jesus. Jesus bore that weight. David knew where his son was, and yet he didn't go get him. He left him there for three more years. Five years of stewing in this, in this wound. But the Father, the Bible says, sent Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you know what Absalom's name means? It means my father is peace. Every time they said his name, that's what he heard in his language. My father is peace, but he has no peace with his father. But God is our peace. The question is, do you believe it? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For it is fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. You and I come into the family of God, and we are changed, called by his name. It's fitting for Jesus to bring many sons to glory. That's the heart of God. Would you bow your heads with me? Now, when we talk about justice, a lot of us, we want, we want justice. You know, we want the law kind of thrown at other people for what they do wrong, but then we want grace for us. We don't want to be in the, in the hands of a just God. We want, to be in the, we want to be in the merciful hands of God. We'll see, this is the good news. God can be just and merciful at the same time. I want to just ask you to look at your life. Do some introspection right now and sit in the presence of God and just ask, is there any injustice you've been carrying too long? And is there anything you could put into the hands of God? Has anything been festering too long? 
And then are you responsible for something that happened under your watch? And could you ask the Lord to help you to heal that situation? And that might be really hard to do. But hard things, we pray because God enables us to go do hard things. Lord, change my heart is what we need to pray. So just, would you just put your hands on your heart right now? Just put your hands on your heart. Say, God, would you, would you give me the heart to do hard things? And if you have sinned before the Lord, he's faithful and just to, to forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We have all made mistakes. As parents or as brothers or sisters, we've all made mistakes. But can we let go of that bitterness today? I'm going to ask for our prayer team to come. Just be ready to pray with people. I want to invite you to let it go. Put it in the hands of God. And let the Lord heal you. Take that bitterness away from you. Some of you might say, you don't know what was done to me, Pastor Nathan. You're, you, do you have any idea what you're asking me to do? you have any idea how hard that would be for me? Hey, whatever injustice you have borne, I just want you to know, you have suffering, you, you, you have fellowship with, with Christ in that suffering. He knows what that's like. But you can go out of here today a thousand pounds lighter than when you walked in this door. There just has to be some forgiveness. Would you, would you just let the Lord do what he wants to do? We're going to call on the name of Jesus. And I want you to remember he bore all of the injustice. And let's worship his name and let him do the work inside of us. If you want to repent today, if you want healing for something, you want spiritual healing, emotional healing, whatever, we're here to pray with you. I just want you to stand up on your feet and let God, let his Holy Spirit do the work right now in the next few moments. Would you stand with me? Let's worship the Lord. Let's come before him. You can give it to God. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, we just ask that your Holy Spirit be here. Move in your children's heart today. Move in your heart. Praise the Lord.
the prayer team continue. If you want to come up afterwards, we're going to let you do that. Do you know, forgiveness is not a feeling you feel. Forgiveness is an act of your will. You may not feel any kind of warmth. Do you know why we forgive as Christians? Because we've been forgiven. And forgiven people are supposed to forgive people. So when you think about that bitterness that you're going to decide whether you're going to hold on to it anymore or whether you're going to be free of it, I just want you to consider what Jesus has forgiven you for and then ask yourself, are you willing, you've freely received the gift of forgiveness, will you also freely give it away? You can hold on to it, but it'll destroy you. Or you can give it to God. And maybe some of you, you just need to go, you you need to really let that sink in this week. You could do it anywhere you want to, but at some point, here's what I'm gonna urge you to say, just to the Lord. Father, by an act of my will, I forgive this injustice. I pardon them for what they've done to me or what they did to somebody that I loved. Would you you save that person? Would you help that person who did this to me? Then you pray for the person because it's impossible to hate somebody that you pray for. You'll just find that prayer removes the hatred. And you just let God do that work. Maybe you'll be just alone by yourself by an act of my will. I choose to forgive it. And I think you'll feel it fall off you. Amen? Amen. Listen, hey, let's go be repairers of the world. That's what we are. We were broken people. God healed us. Now let's go fix the world. Anywhere where you go this week, that's your role. You're the church. So go in the peace of the Lord. Emily you are encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.